Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Tonight, we continue on in a series on love as we've walked through the book of 1 Corinthians, and as we've walked through this book, we've realized that loving people means you've got to know people, you've got to be connected to people. And we've talked about it in a lot of different areas, talking about uh, benevolent love and radical love, but <clears throat> in order to do this, we must talk in a deeper way about relationships, because you cannot fully love God and not know people. When we come up in this world, when we just come up in relationships, we are relationally passive. We have friends because we were in the same neighborhood. We were in the same classroom. We knew some of the same people. We're cousins. And so when you come up in this world, you are relationally passive. You just know people because you just know them. You're connected to them. But as time goes on, you have to become more relationally selective. You've got to start knowing what you want in a person to get connected to them. And as time goes on, sometimes we don't have that as a skill and we may find ourselves alone. And because we have social media and we have different ways of texting and seeing visions, like visuals, we have a hard time getting deep. And in this world we have today, we have the most ways to get connected. And so modern day loneliness is not an absence of interaction, but it's actually an absence of intimacy, depth. Everybody wants a life-giving community. Everybody wants people that are safe. Everybody wants to be around people where they can let their hair down and just be known and be themselves. And yet, many times people walk in loneliness, tolerating their days through virtual interactions. And all of a sudden, they find themselves slipping into a life of isolation. And although we didn't vote for loneliness, we find ourselves there and Social media, it compresses time and space, creating this illusion that I'm close. And the reality is is that we have to learn and we have to force ourselves to be fully present with people. To truly love people, you must be present with them. You must be amongst them. And it is not just enough to know about them. We must feel the warmth of their heart. We must see their eyes and be connected. This is why we have to understand how God intends to grow us. He did not intend to grow us by just sending us a message. That's why knowing the Bible is not enough. Knowledge of the Bible is not enough to grow. Because as you understand the Bible, you do not understand his full story. God has given us the Bible. Yes, check, absolutely. But he's also given us his spirit and his people. And if you do not understand, if you understand the Bible, but you do not understand people, then you do not understand God. God has given people as a manifestation of knowing him. And so when we live this life where we just have the Bible, where we're double majors in Bible, but we're failing with people, then we do not understand God. We believe that God somehow sent us this extended text message. In Genesis, he says, what's up, big head? And in Revelation, he says, ooh, I'm back to check you out. But in reality, God did not do that. 
God wanted us to know him through people, broken, jacked up, uh, inconsistent people. Somehow, in the sovereignty of God, he felt the best way to understand who he was was by using people. And so God has given us people at the core of our being is the truth that we are designed for and defined by our relationships. We cannot, listen now, we cannot reach our full potential without healthy relationships. We can't. Like an acorn maturing into a mighty oak, we grow into maturity through relationships. Life-giving relationships are the source of the fruit of the Spirit. When our relationships foster appropriate connection and we lead that to deep communion with one another, we become more fully alive when we have deep relationships. Deep, meaningful relationships are the means and the results of fulfilling our potential. But even as I say this, some of you might have tried this before, the relationship thing. You came into church, and they were like, get connected, and you tried to get connected. But the problem for many of you is getting connected. You have to deal with your past. You have to deal with the fact that you've attempted relationships, or you've been a part of a community, or you have been a part of a family. Your past has made you more receptive to relationships or more suspicious. If you came from a healthy home and have had healthy friendships, both giving and receiving, people that listened to your story, understood who you were, got to know you, got into your life, they could care for you and you could care for them, you're probably more receptive to relationships. But if you came from an unhealthy home where mom didn't really give you the time of the day or dad was maybe physically present but he was emotionally absent, and there was for you always pushing you to higher heights of education, higher heights in relationship. And all the while your parents were pushing you, they never gave you the connection you longed for. If you come from that kind of unhealthy system, then there's a good chance you're more suspicious about relationships than you are receptive. And in so doing, you have told yourself, well, I, I just can't get connected because you remember those moments. You know, it's amazing how our memories are attached to emotions. You can't help but think of something and feel the minute you think of it. And so it's hard for you to get past some of those deep wounds, some of those broken relationships now giving you a broken road. But no matter how broken your past is and no matter how disfigured the relationships were, God has made you for a relationship. I'm not talking about if you're an introvert or extrovert. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people. I'm not talking about how many people. I'm just saying people. God has made you for a relationship. And the good news is God only requires of us what he's already designed us for. So God has made us for relationships so you can do this. God designed us to be for another, and God designed us to receive from another, giving and taking. That's what it means to be healthy. Give and take. The essence of love is radical giving and receiving. So it's not enough that you are the giver, that you're always listening to people, you're always caring. Is somebody listening to you? Is someone caring for you? You must be receiving 
from people, to be fully alive, and to be the person that God has intended you to be. We must have interdependence, not independence, not totally dependent, but interdependence, interwoven relationships, and deep connection. This is what it means to be alive. This is what it means to know God. God himself operates that way in the Trinity. The Father gives himself for the Son. The Son gives himself for the Father. The gift of each other is personified in the Spirit. And not only do they do this unconditionally, but they receive each other in the same manner. And so when God created the earth, and he's hanging the sun, moon, stars, as he's making fish and putting them in the water, as he's allowing life and vegetation to grow, he continually says this word, good, good. And he is affirming his own creation. And yet when he sees the man in the garden by himself, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. I'll have somebody there with him. It's not good. That is not what I meant. That's not what I intended. I got to do a do-over. I got to help that out because that's not the full design. Them alone, being alone, no. That is not the definition. That's not the full beauty of my creation. And so God meant us to be together, to be connected. We cannot live fully alive apart from that connection. God has constituted us that way. And the fact that you were made in the image of God, that's why when you see someone who's lonely, when you see someone on the train and they're crying and they're just suffering and no one's talking to them, you say, that's not good. When you came from the home that you came from and mom was always complaining about dad and dad would come home and he'd be sitting on the couch and he'd be complaining about her, you didn't need to even know God to say, now that's not good. You saw the brokenness of relationships and you too said not good. And yet... James 1 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And so when you see a family connecting, this morning I walk with my kids down the street with, you know, we were going down in, in Ditmas Park, and there were just people walking by, and they're like, oh, look. And my kids were acting fairly well, praise God, but they were walking. And, but, but, you know, when you see a family laughing together, when you see a husband and wife communicating, communion, they like each other. Maybe that's why so many of us, we gawk and are amazed at that these celebrity relationships that actually stay and they look at each other on video and they're like, they like each other? They still like each other. And there's something good about that. And maybe when you leave out of here on Sundays, you look good. You look connected. But when you go home in the mirror, you go, not good. I'm not actually connected to people. Because just because you're in this crowd doesn't mean you're connected. Doesn't mean you're known. And so this picture that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians is exactly what they were dealing with. In a conversation that Paul was having about gifts, Paul leaps into an illustration, an illustration that is going to give us a picture of this imagery of disconnection. The Corinthians had a major problem. And this major problem was they had these very gifted people, and the gifted people were the ones that got all the attention. There were people who were knowledgeable with 
the gift of knowledge. They had tongues. They had prophecy. They had all these different abilities. And you could say these are people of the crowd. They know how to be in front of people. They know how to talk. They know how to grab attention. They know how to have eyes on them. And then there are people who have gifts that are more behind the scenes, gifts of administration, gifts of help. And these are people in the crowd, people that are easily overlooked. And so these crowd people, these people that can navigate themselves and everyone knows them, they get more attention. And what Paul is going to say is not everyone is going to be noticeable in a crowd. And he launches into this illustration to describe this problem of people who are being overlooked every time they come together. And Paul is going to give this imagery. Now here we have hundreds of bodies, individual people. What Paul is going to say is that when you come to know Jesus, you join one body. You become part of one person. And he uses this idea of Jesus being the head of this body. And now he's saying each of these bodies are a part of one body and you occupy a member, a hand or a foot, an eye or an ear. And you have a function, a role in that body, just as your hand has a function in your body. And you need that hand to fully express what the body was intended to do. Paul is going to say here, though, <laughs> that sometimes parts of the body don't feel appreciated. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 if you have your Bible, you can go there or you can uh, go to your app or you can look up on the screen. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, it reads this way. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It's not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It's not for that reason any less part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And I love how Paul is giving these parts of the body actual words that they're saying. So what happens is all the foot people got together one day and they started talking about all those hand people. And they were like, you know how those hands are. People always talking about hands in our church. They never talk about feet. I mean, when am I ever going to be recognized? I mean, when is everybody going to know my situation, my story? They're always talking about hand. It's basically a hand church. There's not no foot church. I'm going to find me a foot church where I could be around the foot people. I just got to find my friend Foot Tisha and Foot Tama and all these people. <laughs> because they don't care about hands. I mean, really, what are we talking about here? No one ever mentions me. No one ever mentions my story. Why we got to raise our hands in worship? Why can't we move our feet, praise God? Why is it the right hand of fellowship? Why can't we just dance before the Lord, Jesus? Why is it that way? This church is not for me because I'm not getting attention. You see, attention was the definition of relationship. And therefore, gifting was there the definition of significance in a community. If you're gifted and get attention, you're somebody. 
If you're not as gifted or rather having upfront gifts, you lack the attention, meaning you lack the significance. Why am I even around here? I wish I was one of them hands. Those hands, they, they, really, they really are special. And he says this happens in other parts. He says there's other parts of the body that say the same thing. He says the ears are saying that about the eyes. You know, I'm not an eye. I wish I was an eye. Eyes always get attention. I mean, eyes, people get in contacts. They get in different color eyes. You never hear about no different color ears. Ain't nobody paying attention to no ears. People hide their ears. What is wrong? I don't have anybody looking at me. And what the ear and what the foot is saying, I'm always being covered up and no one is paying attention to me. And so... Here, Paul is going to, of course, say we need ears. I mean, we need eyes. I mean, we don't want everybody to be an ear. We don't want everybody to be an eye. We need each part, and that's why he goes into gifting. But there's something he says here that is going to deeply affect the way that we operate with one another. What he says here is in verse 25, look there. Verse 25, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Notice what Paul says. Listen, We've got to make sure we have no division. We don't want all the hand people just hanging out with the hands and all the foot people hanging out with the feet. In other words, if you saw someone or if you saw just feet walking down the street or hands walking down the street, you'd say there's a grotesque problem because there should be this sense in which it's connected to something. You cannot, under, you cannot understand the significance of the hand if you don't see it attached to a wrist. It is not full. You cannot appreciate an arm not connected to the chest and the body. Everything is supposed to be connected, not just having the same level of attention. So we don't want division because division is not the full expression. We must have unity and diversity. Not just compartments, not just affinity. And this is side note and commercial break. This is one of the challenges of social media because we end up creating these echo changes of people that always agree with us and are like us. And when you have to be fully present with people, you start to learn people and you start to know people and you get to know their full story and you get beyond just knowing those little quotes about them, but you get to know them. So he's saying in order to not be divided, but to be one body, here's what we can do. He says, the members should have the same concern. We can't give the same attention to everybody, but we can give the same concern. And in so doing, what Paul says here is, here's our strategy. Here's how we'll give the same concern. If one member suffers, everybody's going to suffer. Everybody's going to feel their pain. And if one member is honored, everybody's going to rejoice with them. He says, concern. That's the way that we can be a healthy body is concern. Now, 
suffering or pain is the way that our nervous system tells us there's a problem. Your nervous system does a very good job of telling you that there's a serious problem and there's pain, and it brings all attention to one place. And the head, the mind, it tells your body there's a problem. There are actual people who have a problem with their nervous system that they don't know pain. And oftentimes those people die because they don't realize how they're hurting. But in the reality here is that the Bible says that the way that we will be able to have concern is that we're all knowing the suffering of one. The other night, my wife, she got up in the middle of the night, going to get some milk or deal with the baby, something like that. And, yo, she smashed her little toe at the edge of the bed. Has anybody ever felt that kind of trauma, hallelujah, that trauma pain? I mean, that thing is wild. Now, little toes, not, people don't take pictures of little toes. There's no, like, little toe models. Little toes don't get recognition. No one's, like, making a big deal about little toe. But if you stub your little toe in the middle of the night, your whole body's like, ew, my toe right here. Pain right there. Everybody, everybody, what are we going to do? Get milk? No milk. No milk right now. The little toe has a problem, guys. We got to time out, time out. Whatever we were doing, Little toe time, right? Right? Your brain tells you there's pain. And what the Bible is saying is there are stories every Sunday walking into this community of suffering and pain, and we are disfigured if someone is not telling their story of pain. The church, the community, the body should look and go, you're in pain? Let's stop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We got we to pause for a second. You're in pain. And we should show the same concern. Sometimes the way that a community grows is we just have a bunch of popular people who are good with people and we sound good. And so that what we do is we create a culture of performance. And the only way, listen, the only way you can cut through a culture of performance is for someone to be courageous enough to tell their story. Happens every time. Someone's got to be honest and be like, hey, how's your week going? Man, yo, my week is amazing because amazing, amazing, amazing. Pray for my grandmama and um, she, somebody, my cousin, they sick. And man, the, the flowers, the moons, the stars, everything's great. Hallelujah. Thank you. Everything's great. Everything's great. Then finally somebody goes, I don't, I don't know about all these. I am struggling like deeply. Like I don't, I don't really know people. And, and I, I, like, can I share that prayer request? Is that okay? Is that illegal here? Can I share a real prayer? Like, would you pray for me that tonight I wouldn't cry as I sleep? Would you pray for me that I wouldn't wake up in the middle of the night and think about my friend? You know, I'm in this relationship situation, and I, I don't know. Can I share that? And, and we'll be a body if people will all stop and say, oh, man. We will pray. We're going to follow up. We're going to get connected to you. But we've all been in moments where you might have shared, you took the risk, and people just moved on. And we disfigured the body. And so the suffering, the, the concern is what Paul is saying here is that we are to be concerned. And then he says, too, not only do we show concern by dealing with the suffering and the pain of people in our community, but also honor, that we rejoice, that we celebrate victory. 
that every week we have people who have overcome great barriers and obstacles in their life, and they have great victory. And a victory is not fun if you can't celebrate it, if you can't have people rejoicing with you over the great things you've overcome. And story, allowing people in to know that story is the great way we're able to celebrate. And that's a discipline. Celebration is a discipline. <laughs> a buddy of mine, he, um, he was saying how he teaches this to his kids. He speaks around the country and he'll always get a gift. And when he gets a gift for his kids, he's got three kids, he'll get a gift for one kid and he'll come back and he'll be like, hey, everybody, I got a gift. And the kids will be like, okay, what's the gift? And he'll be like, here you go, little Isaiah. This is a gift for Isaiah. And the other two kids are like, what happened when you were out? Did you remember me? He's like, yeah, but I'm giving Isaiah, I'm just giving Isaiah a gift, and that's what we're going to do. And let's clip, clap it up for Isaiah. He got a little doll. And they're like, what's going on? And he tells them, no, 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 I'm teaching you about real life. In real life, Things do, you don't always get something, one, and you're going to have to learn how to celebrate other people when they're doing something you don't have and you can't get. That is a cel You have to have the gift of celebration, honoring people. You know, what's really even hard is honoring people when they do what you do, but they do a little better than you. Praise God. Right? They do a little, they just do a little better, a little, like, you know, just a little, just, just a touch, just a little, just a little bit, Right? And it's hard. And it's hard because you found your identity in it. And when they do what you do better than you, it feels like identity theft. Right? Like, that's, I'm supposed to be the one doing this. I don't even know who I am now. Yeah. So he says, if one is honored, we all honor. If one person is celebrating, we all celebrate. And that's why you're a healthy body. Health is not just in our singing of worship. Health is not in just our growth. Health is not in just the preaching. Health is in mutual concern. Is there mutual concern in our community? That's health. I can share my story. People listen. I listen when people share their story. That's health. You can bench 500 pounds. You can be the most muscular person and still have cancer. How you look doesn't define health. It's who you are on the inside. And the real concern for one another is who we are on the inside. Concern. Concern stems from a knowledge of one another because we are many bodies called to one body. And yet... Here, beloved, is the problem. We cannot love well or be loved well without trust. Y'all still staying in here? Good, 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 good. This is the tough part. Without trust. And this is what you knew was coming. Because mistrust is the enemy, enemy of intimacy. It corrupts our God-given design for relational connection. And it's the fact that you are, we are on this continuum of suspicion and connection and relationship, and sometimes we just have deep mistrust and our ability to be open to people. Oh, when you're open to people, and again, I'm not, I'm not talking, we have allowed extroversion and introversion to be a term for do I want to get to know people. That is not what it's about. 
That's, that's about where you get energy and all that. I'm, you know, I get that. We're talking about loving people. I'm, glad, I'm so glad Jesus was an extrovert, praise God. I mean, I'm just glad he wasn't like, I'm not into people, I'm sorry, I gotta, I gotta go and do stuff. No, I mean, he loved people. Don't use that term to define if you love people. How many people? Yes, we all have limits and boundaries, but loving people and being open to people. And so when you're open to people, it's like you've got this sweet aroma and this fragrance that draws people to you. And they're like, man, I could be known by this person. I can connect. And, and when you have this, you have this scent where you draw people away, it's like you've got this social BO, you've got this funk, you've got this scent. And people come by you and they're like, oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, you don't want to get to know anybody, do you? Oh, okay, well then, all right then, I'll call you later, right? You don't want to be around them. And you've given off this scent for some time because you don't want people close. Trust fosters an open, receptive soul that's able to give oneself and receive the presence of another in free, responsible, and in a loving way. But mistrust leads to a closed, reactive soul that's unavailable and detached. But here's what I'm wanting you to understand, church. I'm encouraging you that you must learn how to trust God more than men. I'm in a sense not telling you not to trust anybody, but I am in many ways telling you to trust God and love people, to deeply trust God. Complete, listen, complete vulnerability with God makes you more open to trust. It makes you feel safe. It allows you to be free. You've got to learn how to be free with someone, to be connected to someone, to be alive in front of someone, to be like Moses and just take that veil off and allow that person to know you fully. Because even if you go to a therapist, that time you're paying for that time, that's an hour. There is a wonderful free counselor that you can be amongst every day and get connected. I'm not knocking therapy, but I'm knocking isolation. And you've got to learn how to be free in front of them and connected. You become a more safe person when you're amongst them. And the more we enjoy God's presence, the more we'll be able to enjoy the presence of others. You must come home to God. You must be alive in front of God. You must let God tell you your story. You must let God know you and you be known by him. Not that he doesn't know all about you, but you've got to unveil yourself. You've got to let the veil up in front of somebody and tell them your fears and be like David and tell him, I, where are you? Good God, I've been doing this for a week. I mean, I thought you were my refuge. Where are you? Where have you been? And in the same story, in the same song, he says, oh, you've always been there. That's the kind of psychosis we're in when we're before God, when we're free before him. God gives us the gift of being ourselves. And we are masters at creating an image, but we are novices at recognizing the image we create. And so I'm encouraging you to go deep with God with your own story, to be known deeply by God and to be loved on by God and to have him know your story. Think about it. Where, where did you grow up? I mean, who were your heroes? 
Who were the important people to you? Who, who were the influencers of your life? Where were your best memories? Where were your painful ones? How were you known? How did people know you? Did you have a nickname? All that stuff. I mean, you can actually talk to God like a friend and be understood and known by him. And you, if you do not let God in and, and unveil your heart to him, you will presume God is just minimizing you to the victories and the failures of your life and not giving you the fullness of being human. This is why forgiveness is so important. You ever seen those carnival mirrors? You know, the carnival mirrors stretch you or they minimize you. You can be 6'5", and the carnival mirror will make you 5'6". You can be 5'6", and the carnival mirror will make you 6'5". Make you big or small. When you don't forgive people, you minimize them to just what they did to you. You say, well, they talked about me. You know, and that's what they do. They talk about people because, you know, they're a talker because talking people talk, 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 talk. That's a talker. And that's all you see them as. And you've suppressed their story to what they did to you. And yet they've got a fuller story than the offense that you receive from them. Their story is full and vibrant and powerful. And so you can't hold on to that. You've got to let that go. I was in San Jose speaking, and there was a guy that I forgived. I, I, honestly, I forgive them, but I didn't know they were coming over. I was like, oh, so they were like, such, such coming over. I was like, such, such coming over, such, such coming over. Ha, shatabasa. I had to get, I had to get ready. I had to get ready. I had to, oh, God, help me, Lord, right now. And then, and listen, listen, have you ever, have you ever really sat down and hung out with someone you've forgiven? It's a powerful thing to be free amongst someone who was, you felt bound by their story. You felt bound by being around them. And now you're free because I can embrace. And you know what? When he left, he started telling me about his son who's now doing drugs. He started telling me about his son who's, who, who I thought was going to be a preacher himself. But now he's caught up in drugs. And he dropped me off at this one house. And he said, man, Really appreciate you listening to me. And I was like, no problem, man. I thought, man, what if I had compressed him to one moment? And part of what you're doing with God, you, you don't allow yourself to be alive with God. You've compressed yourself to moments. You are so full. There's so much of you that God wants to engage. Not just your sin, not just the bad, all of you. And the more that you unveil your story, you will be alive and connected. We've got to learn how to share our story and understand ourselves with God. We must learn to share our stories with one another. We must because we are relational beings. And yes, yes, you have a real memory of real things that happen, of real people that ignored you, hurt you, and talked about you. Ignored you, hurt you, and talked about you. There were people who you thought were safe and they hurt you. There were people that you thought would comfort you and they ignored you. There were people who you thought you were going to be somebody I can look up to and now you look down to them. And you have been on a broken world and people have hurt you and there have been relationships that broke you. But hear this, beloved, you've been hurt by relationships, but you will be healed by relationships. You need relationships. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, there is no part of the Christian life where you can circumvent relationships. You will be healed by relationships. It will be people in your life. That's how you will get past the past. It's people in your life. And he said, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I like, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm just, I would rather just 
You know, and that's why some of you, you come in here in your church, you're just like, oh, yours is the kingdom, yours is the kingdom, yours is the kingdom. You're like, mine is the Uber. I got to get out of here. I love y'all. Bye. I said, okay, it's been real. It's been real. I got to go. I got to go, right? You got a story every week. Yeah, I got to go. I got to go. Right? You, you're very you're like judo. You're like a black belt in judo when you get out of here. You're just like, whoop. Right? And you head out of here. And you isolate yourself. What's the problem with isolation? Isolation will only breed more mistrust because you're living in an old story. Those people aren't even here. That person could have changed by now. You have a broken highlight reel in your, in your mind of the past, and it's the past. And there are people that God is sanctifying and growing. There are empathic listeners all amongst us, and you will not know that because you hide your story. And you're hiding in plain sight. And so what God has called us to do is to be known, is to have our names known. And you first, first let God fully know you and be alive in front of him. Let him know your, your name. Let him know your fears. I was telling the first service, um, when I first started preaching, <laughs> I used to pastor at this church, and they were, you know, really legalistic, and we, we were the youngest couple there, so everything's changed, right? Now, now we're like the oldest couple, praise God, but we were the youngest couple there at the church, and everybody was just like real, like they had this like, you know, tough guy thing where you just preach, and you know, no one said anything ever, and it was just like super weird and legalistic and awkward all the time, and, and so I started acting that way too. Like, I just got really weird and legalistic, and I'd get up there, hello, name is James, how's everybody? <laughs> all right, and I was just nervous all the time because I was just weirded out by them, but I was like, being weird is the normal thing around here. So I started acting weird with them. That, that happens in church sometimes. Check, check some others out. They're, they're like that. But praise God, I was in there for five years, and in my third year, I got up to preach one time, and while getting up to preach, I heard the Holy Spirit of the living God tell me, I mean, I'm telling you, he told me, he said, have fun. And I was like, is that, Lord, is that you? <laughs> and I just, I, I knew it was from the Lord. It was like, have fun, enjoy yourself. I didn't make you that way. In high school, you acted a fool. In college, you acted a fool. In seminary, you acted a fool. At your jobs, you acted a fool. Now you start preaching and you're just going to be this stale person. You better act a fool for me. And so I was like, hey, everybody, what's up? How y'all doing? You know what I'm saying? So I just got, you know, tipped the hospitality coordinator. Hey, what's going on? And I was just wilding out up there. And the Spirit of God made me a fun person. But it was by knowing God that I knew myself more. Why is that the case? Because whenever you sit with the creator, you understand the design. And in the same way, you've got to sit with God, know your story. And the more you are known, the more you are fully known, you'll be more open to know people. The more you understand your past and understand your brokenness, you'll be more open to hearing the story of other people. And you'll be, the more that you accept the grace of God, the more you will offer grace to people. The more you receive the love of God, the more you will offer love to people. The more you receive the forgiveness of God, the more you will forgive people. You must receive and give, receive and give, and you must also get that from people. You must receive from people. And people, 
every week coming here with suffering and rejoicing. And there are people quietly suffering and there are people quietly rejoicing. Just wishing they could tell their story. <coughs> Jesus tells a story of a, a shepherd. It says he has 100 sheep. And with 100 sheep, this shepherd one day looks out and he notices there's only 99 here. I, I need to find, I need to find the 100 sheep. sheep. I, I'm a good shepherd. I need to know And you know what made a good shepherd is that they didn't just see the sheep, they knew the sheep. And as we are here on Sundays, there's over 100 people here right now. If there were 120 people here right now, you know what? I wouldn't know if there were 119. If there were 200 people here right now, I wouldn't know if there were 199. I can't see that with my eyes. And when God was telling that story of being a shepherd and having the 99 and leaving the one, he wasn't saying the pastor has to be a professional one-getter. It's that as a community and a body, we work to know each other and be known. Because what we have here aren't just hundreds of people. It's names. 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 And for every name, there's a story. And all, all on this row, and next to one another, there's names and stories. And right now, you look to your left and you go, that's that guy. But there's a name there. And there's a story attached to it. A name and a story. And God is going to give you the courage to be fully known by him. And as you grow in that, you are going to start launching out and be courageous and get to know people more and let more people in. And one day you're going to be in church and you're going to see somebody sitting on the side and they've been coming in every now and then. You're going to look at them and you go, hey, what's, what, what's, your, what's your name? I'm like, oh man, I've been coming here for a few weeks. My, uh, my name is Jan, uh, John, uh, John, 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 yeah, my name's John. Well, it's good to meet you, man. Where are you from? And you're going to talk and you're going to have like a two-minute conversation. And John's going to go, hey, I got to go. I got to go. My, my Uber's coming. And then John's going to come back another Sunday. And you'll be talking to your friends. And you're going to look over and you see John just kind of putting his stuff away. And you're going to say, John, right? Yeah, you remember my name. Yeah, what's up, man? What's going on? Nothing, just, you know, chilling cool, man. Well, it's good to see you. All right. My Uber's coming. <laughs> and then one day, you're going to look over, and your friends are going to be going, you guys are going to get ready to go out to eat. And you're going to look back, and you can see John's shoulders are a little slumped over. And you go, hey, give me Give me, just, guys, just give me one second. Go on, I'll, I'll meet you over there. 
me, I'm not trying to get in your business, but are you okay? I, uh, I lost my mother this week, and uh, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around all this. And it's like, well, do you want to talk? Oh, my, my Uber's coming. <laughs> well, if you want to go, can you cancel it in under five minutes? Yeah, I think you can cancel it in under five minutes. Well, you can, hey, if you want to go, it's cool. He's like, well, all right. And then you sit with him. And John starts to talk about how much he's not sure what he's even doing in New York City now that his mother's gone. And he begins to cry. And you, you know what you're going to do? <laughs> you're no counselor, <laughs> you're no professional. You're going to put your hand over their back. You're going to tap it a few times. And you're just going to sit with them. And you're going to hear. And then you start to cry. And as they're suffering, you're going to suffer with them. And some days the same thing's going to happen. And John's going to come in. He's like, I got a job. I, I got the job. And you're going to high five and be like, you got that job. And we are going to suffer together. And we are going to rejoice together. And we're going to be a healthy body. And every week, dare to know someone. Every week, dare to be known. In the name of Jesus, God, we ask you. We ask you, even now, God, know us deeply, God. Know us deeply, God. Know us deeply, God. Know us deeply, God. I want to know you more, God. I want, I want to unveil more of my life to you. I want to know people more, but I'm scared. I want to get connected more, but I'm scared. Holy Spirit, strengthen our members. Strengthen our limbs. Connect us deeply to one another through your power, in Jesus' name. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.